This is week 20 of the miracles of Jesus. Aren't you glad that our God does miracles? Amen. And he still does. He still does miracles. Mark chapter 4, we're in part 2 of this miracle where Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and he calms the sea. What an awesome miracle. One of my favorite ones, just uh, Jesus showing his dominion over the natural laws of the universe. You know, to us, gravity always applies. Natural laws always apply. You need air to breathe. Amen. Anyone fly here this morning? No, by just no. You're not. No. The natural laws always apply. But to Jesus, the natural laws were not even an obstacle to him. He could speak to storms. He could speak to wind and waves and they would cease. He could curse a fig tree and it would wither up. You know, sometimes when I'm lazy and I'm sitting on the couch, I try and make the remote control come to me. Anybody try that? Gun? I got to work on my anointing, Pastor Mike, because it's I have to get up. But uh, to Jesus, none of this is an issue. And he he's showing his disciples who he is by exerting his dominion over the natural laws of man. We pick up in uh, chapter four here. I'm going to read you verses thirty five uh, through forty one. And then we're going to hone in on just a, another few verses this morning. Father, we thank you for the word. I thank you for these beautiful people here. I pray, Lord, as we've worshipped you and open our hearts, that you would drive the word deep into us, that you would refresh us and restore us, that you'd send every one of us home with a deposit from your heart this morning. Holy Spirit, that we would understand the word and it would come alive to us and that it would change us from the inside out. I ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? This is what we covered last week. We are fully convinced by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit that Jesus does care for us. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? Say amen. He cares for us. He's not indifferent to what we're going through. But they asked this question that has been on the lips and hearts of God's people all the time. Don't you care that we're perishing? We're dying here, Lord. And it says here in verse 39, and he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace or hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? We've been talking about fear all through worship this morning. Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who is this then that the wind and the waves obey him? So, you know, we're going to cover some more of this as we unpack what's here in this miracle but this morning we're really just going to cover verse 39 and it says and he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea and said peace be still and the wind died down and it became perfectly calm this miracle is unfolding here it was jesus's idea to get on the boat it was jesus's idea to cross the sea of galilee as they're crossing a rogue storm just comes out of nowhere remember these were fishermen they were experienced sailors they could read the sky they, they would know you know about these things but yet this storm hits them out of nowhere and in moments uh they're in panic 
Jesus is sleeping below deck. The boat's filling up with water. They're coming unglued, so they wake up Jesus. And he gets up, and he addresses the situation. We're going to cover verse 39 here. When we pick up in verse 39, we see Jesus about to do this miracle of overriding the natural laws of the universe. And uh, he takes three actions against the storm. The first action he takes is this. Jesus faces the storm. Now you might think, well, what does that mean? Well, he got up off his pillow and he came, uh, he got awake and he literally went out and saw what was going on. He faced the storm. How does this apply to us? Well, many times we want to be asleep uh, in the storms of life. Why? Because we don't want to face them. Come on, church, you can preach back to me this morning, amen? Well, if I, you know, how many people come from that attitude where if I ignore it, maybe it'll go away? Come on, we do this in relationships, too. If I don't deal with the issue, if I pretend it's not there, if we ignore the elephant in the room, come on, let's talk about the proverbial elephant in the room. Well, if I don't, Scott, if I don't face the storm, you know, then maybe it's not there. And so the thing is, we want to stay asleep. Jesus didn't stay asleep. He got up and he addresses the storm. He faces the storm. You and I face storms in our, in our lives, in our relationships, in our spiritual walk, in the decisions that we need to make. The winds are blowing. Sometimes our boats are taken on water and we don't want to face the storm. Jesus, in verse 39, says he arose. And I want you to see that. Once Jesus gets up on his feet, the storm is as good as done. We're going to talk about this this morning, but the first thing he does is he, he, he gets up, he arose. Now, throughout Israel's history, if you study the Old Testament, you're going to see that, you know, God has always risen up and defended his people. If you look at the nation of Israel and God's people all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see the marvelous ways that God defended and preserved and protected his people. You say, well, why did he do that? Because they were his people, and he's a faithful God, amen? He always rises up. He always gets on his feet. He always defends the people of God. And you know what? He does the same thing for the church, the body of Christ. He defends his church. Do you know the Bible says that the church is Jesus' bride? We are the bride of Christ. All the guys look uncomfortable now. Well, I, I knew I'd be a lot of things, but never a bride. I didn't think... We, we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Jesus knows how to take care of his bride. Wow, even the brides are quiet now. I know how to take care of my wife. I know how to protect my wife. I know how to defend her. I know how to cover her and, and be there for her. I know how to do that as a husband. It, it's, it's, you know, we're going to be married 30 years soon enough here. So, you know, I'm, I'm, she's training me, and I'm starting to get it here. But Jesus certainly knows how to take care of the body. God has always been faithful to his people in the Old Testament. And what does it say? He arose. God rises up. In Psalm 68, King David, he asked God to rise himself up against the unrighteous, against the wickedness of the generation. Look what David says here in Psalm 68. He says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. David is praying, God, rise up and defend your people. 
Poor little Israel back in the day, a small little nation, yet the apple of God's eye. And he defended them from all the nations that sought to destroy him. And he still does that today. If you watch what God does with the nation of Israel, they're a small little country surrounded by people who want to destroy them. Some of those countries around them, within the charter of their government, say our goal is to drive Israel into the sea. Little Israel, big God. Little Christian, big God. God raises up and defends. The enemies of righteousness will face off with God. It's not like, you know, I have to push back the forces of darkness. I have to change the hearts and minds of the whole world. I have to save the lost. That's God's job, amen? The, the unrighteous will face off with a holy God. Isaiah 59, 18 through 19 says this. Listen to what the prophet said. He says, according to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. Isn't that interesting? Whenever you get on the coast, it seems like the coast of every country, they're crazy. East coast, west coast, you notice that? If you don't notice it, you're crazy, Okay. He says the coast. Well, I don't know what it is. You get by the ocean, you start to lose your mind, Pastor Mike. But God's saying, you know, the people in the coast, and, and he says, look, I, I'm going to take care of these people. You know, if they won't humble themselves, they won't stop persecuting, you know, God's people. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll touch them with my full fury. Listen to verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west. Oh, God, have some revival in the west here. Amen. And his glory from the rising of the sun. Listen to this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Amen? That's what we need. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God to raise up a standard. When? When the enemy comes in like a flood. You know, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in the nations and in the earth right now, but, but, but the enemy is flooding the nations with all kinds of wickedness, and the church is being pushed back and persecuted. You know, I know we're in our little Western bubble here, but our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are suffering and dying. I know we're in our little bubble here, but in Africa, Northern Africa, there's a lot of persecution. And God says, you know what? I'll raise up a standard. I'll come and I will fight for my people. Jesus rose up. God has always risen up. The, the situation is we need the Lord to stand in the gap for us and defend us at this time. And Mark 4, we ship back to that from Isaiah, and we see the storm is still raging. The boat's still sinking. The disciples are still in, in panic mode, but Jesus is on his feet and addressing their storm. You say, well, you know, how did that happen so quickly? Number one, Jesus was on their boat. Remember we talked about this? Jesus has got to be on your boat, amen? When we're in trouble, it's no time to, now I'm going to go to God and develop a relationship with him, and I'm going to, oh, I'm in a spiritual battle. Now I'm going to learn how to pray. No, you need to learn those things before you're in the fight, before you're in the battle. Come on. They send soldiers, what, to basic training, to learn their basic, you know, how to be soldiers, how to operate and function on the battlefield. They learn that not when the bullets are flying their way. They learn that in basic training, amen? It's time for the church to learn how to pray and to learn how to seek the face of God and to get in the secret place, Amen. Don't wait until you're under full attack and go, now, which part of this gun are you supposed to point toward the enemy? I'm not. Oh, help us, Jesus. 
But here's Jesus, and he's on his feet, and he's addressing their issue. He was in their boat, so, you know, he was right there with them. He's right there with us, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what obstacles or giants you face. You know, if you're in the Lord, if you're a Christian, if you've accepted Christ into your life, he's right there with you. The Bible says, what, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, amen? Greater things than this shall you do. Come on, church. I'm trying to stir up some faith this morning, amen? Is Jesus in your boat? Is he in your boat? If he's not in your boat, I'm gonna give an altar call at the end of my message. You can come to Jesus, amen, and you can get saved and get him in your boat because... (laughs) Because if you're doing your own thing your own way in your own strength, it's not going to work. So how did he get there so quickly? He was in the boat. Number two, they called upon him. You know what? They, they got to the point where they got so scared, you know, and they went down and they shook Jesus and they woke him up. Now, you know, he knew what was going on and he knew that they were coming unglued. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he was, you know, listening to everything they had to say and waiting for the right moment. Well, they finally had enough and they got down there and they shook him and they woke him up. And that's what we got to understand. Sometimes, you know, we try to fix the messes that we make ourselves. How many times you make a mess, right? You spill something, you break something, you try and clean it up, you know, before your wife catches you. I mean, before you, we always have this instinct, man, if I'm in a mess, I got to clean up the mess. Spiritually, sometimes, you know, what we need to do is stop trying to do it ourselves, stop trying to get the opinions of others, even stop trying to recruit people to, to come help us fix our mess and to cry out to God. Many times God's just waiting for us to, to wake him, to shake him. He's like, how, how long are you going to try and do this yourself before you realize you need me? See, he was asleep on the cushion down there. He was below deck, and the storm was getting worse and worse and worse, and he's thinking, how much worse is it going to have to get before they come get me? And finally they do, and they shake him, and they wake him, And that's a good thing. You and I need to cry out to Jesus. We need to call for his assistance, amen, and stop trying to do it our own strength. It's time for us to cry out with one voice as the church, to cry out to God and say, God, we need you to address our storm. It's time for us to seek God and to ask him uh, to raise up a standard, as Isaiah said, to raise up a standard against the things that are going on that are beyond our control. It's time for the church to wake up and to shake heaven with our prayers and to cry out for him to address the problems we can't solve. In fact, I want us to stand to our feet here today. We did this in first service. I want us to stand to our feet, and I want us to cry out to heaven this morning, and I'm going to pray a prayer to ask God to intervene in the storms that we face. Just begin to cry out to him. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you answer our prayers, and we cry out to you today, Lord Jesus. We ask you to raise up a standard against the things that come against us and to push back the storm. We cry out to you, Lord Jesus, today, and we ask you that your enemies would be scattered, that you would arise, and that you would fight for your people as in times of old. We ask it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, give them a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. All right. All right, sit down, you crazy Christians. You say, well, what does that do? That's just kind of goofy. No, that 
puts us on our feet like Jesus was on his feet. That allows us to address the issues that are going on in our life and to involve heaven and to ask God for help, amen? He's waiting for us to cry out for him. He's thinking, how, much, how many more waves? How much more wind? How, does the boat have to completely sink? Are they going to put life jackets on? What are they going to do? Oh, we're stubborn sometimes. Chance after chance. Forgiven, I messed up, do it again, chance after chance. And God is waiting for us to say, you know what? I messed up, I'm going in the wrong direction. I can't stop, I need your help, God. The most powerful way I know to get God to address the storms that we face is to follow the direction of 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a scripture that so many of us know, have committed to memory. It's a, it's a popular verse. It says this, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Does that sound good to anybody? Amen. Now, look what it says. If we break this down in its most simplistic form, this verse says, if we'll humble ourselves and pray and repent, if we'll do that. Now, what does that mean? You say, well, Pastor Rick, you know, uh, many times the church feels like, you know, we're trying to do our best. We're seeking the Lord. We're living as best we can. Yet the world is coming unglued all around us. And many times people want to say, well, it's your fault. And it almost seems like this verse is saying, well, church, it's your fault. Now it's quiet. And partially, it is our fault because we've gotten too comfortable, we've gotten too lazy, we've gotten too sick and tired of pushing against the darkness, and we've sat down. And the word is saying, you know, that God is waiting on us. Oh, well, God, we're waiting on you. God says, well, that's interesting because I'm waiting on you. And here's what I'm waiting on you to do. Humble yourself, pray, and repent from your sin. You see, but... My sin's so little, it's the speck in the eye. And we're, the log's out there. We want to talk about the logs. Jesus says, deal with the speck in your eye. Deal with that sin. You know, the anointing of God, the, the power of the church, it is hindered every time we give ourselves over to sin. You know, well, just a little bit of uh, addiction, just a little bit of drug use, just a little bit of partying, just a little bit of pornography, just a little bit of stepping out on my marriage, just a little bit. And this stuff goes on in the church all across the nations. And you think, well, what? Now, now, now nobody wants to look at me. And, and the thing is this, that little bit of sin, the Bible says it spreads throughout the whole body. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. A little yeast spreads through the whole thing. So what happens when the church has sin in it and we tolerate sin and the world, you know, pushes its agenda on us and we say, yes, we depart from what the Bible says is right and we agree with the world about gender confusion, about sexual immorality, about all of these things. And they say, well, you, you know, you got to bow the knee to this. And we do. Until the church repents, the power of the anointing is not going to break the yokes outside, amen? I'm yearning for a day where there's purity. Jesus said he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. You know, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I look at myself and I'm spotty and wrinkly. You know, I'm like, wow. Sometimes I feel sorry for Jesus. This is all you got to work with. I feel sorry for you. 
But God is waiting for his people not to be perfect, not to be sinless, not to never mess up. No, he's waiting for us to acknowledge, God, you know what? We need to get right, and we need to get tight, and we need to, we need to stop doing all those little things that we know are, are, are counterproductive, that they're sin. To humble ourselves, to pray, and to turn. Wow. And then, then God will do this. He'll hear us, amen. He'll forgive us, amen, and he'll heal our lands. This is what we need God to do at this hour, at this junction. When we stand to our feet like Jesus stood to his feet and we cry out to heaven, we make an appeal to heaven for God to do only what he can do. We've got to do our part, and he'll do our part. The most powerful way I know to get God to address our storms is to humble ourselves to pray, and to repent of sin, and then watch what he does when we're obedient to his word. All of us face storms in our lives. We must be willing to take a spiritual inventory of ourselves to see what it is that's draining our spiritual energy. Did you ever feel like your energy is just being sucked away by the darkness that's out there? Come on, in church, it's good. We're in our little we worship. We're in our, oh, we're brothers and sisters. Everybody's smiling. Most people are clothed in their right mind. It's good. But then you go out there, and it's tough. And it feels like the minute you walk out there, you know, your spiritual energy is drained. There's a little sea creature. It's called a whelk. It's a tiny little sea creature, and it can ruin an oyster's day. A whelk is a little creature that has an appendage on it that acts like an auger. It's a drill. And what a whelk will do is it'll actually attach itself to an oyster. It'll use that built-in drill to drill a tiny hole through the oyster shell, and then it will sit on the oyster and totally consume it until it's dead. And it reminds me of what the Bible says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Some of us have these things attached to us that we've allowed to connect to us, and they're sucking the spiritual life out of us. Little sins, little permissions we do, crossing, you know, this line, crossing that line, half in the world, half out of the world. Listen, that stuff is draining us. It's weakening the church. It's diminishing the effectiveness of the body of Christ. My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would remove all the things from his people that are draining them of spiritual energy. That he would remove the whelks from our life that are sucking us dry and killing us. God, deliver us from all of those things. And I know repentance is the way that we remove them. So grant us the gift of repentance today. Jesus stood and he got right face-to-face with the storm on their behalf. Jesus is on his feet today. He's contending for us, but we've got to do our part. Number two, the second action that happened here as Jesus faced the storm is this, is that he rebuked the wind and he spoke to the sea. So I I want to just take a look at that there. Jesus actually speaks to the storm. Now, you might think, you know, this is a little weird. You know, Jesus knows what he's doing, but I'm not sure I would try that. You know, next time it starts to snow, go outside on your porch. Put your best sock hat on. Begin to rebuke the snow. I'm willing to try it here. I don't like snow. Jesus speaks to the storm. Now, there's a lesson in here for us. Because he goes out there, he faces off with the storm, but then he speaks to it. Now, he addresses the storm, and his, his speech is in the form of a rebuke. 
Now, rebuke is not a word that we use commonly in our diction these days. Does anyone run around in the house and say, I rebuke you children in Jesus' name? I rebuke these bills. No, uh, rebuke is not a word we commonly use. Some of you really need to loosen up today. I mean, I, I'm, I'm working hard up here, so it's just, we don't use that word, so we, we need to know what that word means. Now, the Greek word that's translated rebuke in the English is epitama, and epitama means to admonish, to forbid, or to censure. Now, I want you to understand the meaning of that word censure. Censure means uh, to bring a judgment involving condemnation. We've heard that in the p- political arena. Uh, a politician is censured. What is that? It's a, it's a rebuke. It's a condemnation that's brought against, uh, you know, someone uh, in a position of authority, and it's a judgment involving condemnation. So what I want you to see here is when Jesus stood up and he speaks to the storm and he rebukes it, he's condemning it. He's saying, enough. You know, when you have authority and you say enough, things will quiet down. If you're the boss and you're in a staff meeting and your staff is all over the place and they're arguing or they're not paying attention and you stand up uh, in the staff meeting and maybe you bang something down, enough! Everybody's going to go, oh, I don't want to be fired. Right? If you have authority, you can rebuke something. And we're seeing Jesus here censure, admonish, forbid, rebuke the storm. He's saying enough. Say, what's happening here? Jesus is moving from a place of spiritual authority with his words. And this is what I want you to get today. How many would agree that Jesus' words were powerful? Amen. When he said something, whether the people agreed or not, they're powerful. The Bible says that the word of God does not return void. What does that mean? When we speak the word of God and it goes out, it accomplishes what the Lord wants it to to accomplish, amen? It doesn't just fall to the ground. My words may fall to the ground. I say something, nobody listens. Hey, I'm a father, I get this. But when we speak the word of the Lord, it accomplishes the purpose of God, amen? So what we gotta understand is Jesus is not just speaking or saying what, you know, anything you can think of. He's moving from a a position of spiritual authority with his words, and his words are in the form of a rebuke. Now, understand something. God assures us that we, the people of God, the church, have the spiritual authority to rebuke the works of darkness. Oh, man, I was hoping you'd like that more than that. You and I have the authority to rebuke the works of darkness. Now, don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Bible says. The the, the Bible tells us in Luke 10, 19, behold, Jesus speaking, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. How does that sound right there? All the power of the enemy. I give you the power, the authority to tread. Listen to Matthew 16, uh, 19. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You and I have the power to bind and loose spiritual things. Christians, understand your spiritual authority, amen. Well, the devil's just been beating up on me and destroying my relationships and my finances and my peace. And Well, rebuke him in Jesus' name. Bind what he's doing in your life and loose the will of God into your life. We have authority, but if we don't use the authority, it's as if we don't have it at all. 
bind and loose. I've given you power to tread greater things than this shall you do. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It shall quicken your mortal body. Come on. <laughs> you and I are not weak and powerless and defenseless. We can go to the place of prayer and, uh, and unleash what God puts in us in the, in the prayer closet and let those words speak to our storms with spiritual authority. Oh, we've got to learn this. Help us, Lord. Help us to even believe it. Father, your church, your people, we feel like victims. We feel we have no power. We feel nothing we do or say works or changes the situation. God, change our hearts. Change our mind. Help us to believe your word. Now, let me just say one thing. When exercising spiritual authority over a storm, we should focus on the unseen forces behind the storm and not the people in the storm. Many times we think, oh, man, it's people. It's my boss, you know. It's uh, this guy, you know, he's the devil's brother-in-law. I just know it. They're related somehow. But, you know, it's my spouse. Now, look straight ahead, all you married people, and don't look at each other now. But, Ray, you're not listening. You're looking at your wife. Gabados, listen. Oh, it's my wife. It's my husband. It's this, it's this, that. Oh, it's my family. It's my parents. My mother didn't hug me enough. It's always somebody else's fault. Where was I going with this? But it's not people that we're fighting against. Husbands and wives, you know, you're one. Just did a wedding yesterday and, and, and took two people and made them one flesh, a miracle of covenant. You're not fight. You're not warring against each other. Marriage isn't ding-ding in this corner, weighing none of your business. You know, that, that's... It, we're one, amen? So uh, understand, we're not fighting against people. Ephesians six twelve. for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against darkness in this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice it doesn't say we wrestle against, you know, our boss or our spouse or you, this political party or this group or this, or this. No, we wrestle against spiritual things. If all we do is attack people and, and war with people and loose our words against people, we're never going to get the roots of what's behind our storm. And if we don't get the roots of what's driving our storm, the storm's not going to stop and there's not going to be peace. So understand, we stand to our feet like Jesus stood. We allow him to come and stand in the gap and, and fight for us. But we've got to use our spiritual authority that he's given us and use our words against the storms that we face in life. The third thing that Jesus does with the storm here, he stands, he faces it, he addresses it with his words, he rebukes it, and then Jesus actually calms the storm. Uh, aren't you grateful for people who actually get results? There's so many people that can talk a good game. Well, I can do this, or I understand that, or I got a degree in this. But what have you done? What have you accomplished? What, what have you produced? I don't want people with theories. I don't want people with ideas. I, don't want, I want people who have accomplished something in the kingdom of God. Those are the people I take counsel from, amen? Yeah, Jesus stands up. He, he speaks to the storm, and then this is the result of him exercising his spiritual authority. He says, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Hey, those are pretty good results, amen? Those are the kind of results I like to see. 
Jesus gets in the game here, and he totally changes the situation around. It goes from gale force winds and mayhem and boats sinking to a sea of glass. I want you to picture that. If you were in the boat that day, and you're, you, I mean, you're with an inch of your life, you're thinking, this is it right here. Well, I'm going to die. And then the next moment, the, the storm is gone. There's not a trace of it. In fact, the, the wind and the waves are gone, and the sea is like glass. Woo! One word from the Lord in an instant can turn things around. Look what he says. Peace, be still. Some translations say, hush. Jesus just basically got out there and said, enough. Woo. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to come and say enough in some of my storms. Amen. <laughs> I want Jesus to come and say enough in some of the issues that we face as a nation, amen? Enough with the fear, enough with the lockdowns, enough with the hiding, enough with destroying the economy, enough! God, help us. Peace, be still. Mm. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. From mayhem and gale-force winds to a sea of glass. You say, what effectuated that change? The thing that changed the situation was this, when Jesus injected God's peace into the midst of their mayhem. There was chaos, there was mayhem, there was fear, there was death. It was all right there, and Jesus said, peace. And this is what I want you to get. When the Lord says enough, when the Lord says peace, and he injects the peace of God into our storm, the storm is done. Now, the incredible power of God's peace cannot be overstated because it has the very real ability to calm the most tumultuous situations of life. I don't care what you're going through. It's not too big for God. I don't care what obstacles you face. I don't care who's against you, who's for you, what giants you're facing, what, what mountains. Listen, nothing is too big for God to handle. Nothing is too big for Jesus to come and say, peace. But you don't understand, Pastor, I, I struggle. I got a dysfunctional family. I'm in addiction. I, you know, I have mental issues. Welcome to the club. Nothing's too big for Jesus. Think about all the things that he's calmed down in your own life just to get you here this morning, clothed and in your right minds, amen? We're all miracles today. And why? Because God injected his peace into our chaos. Now, the difference between God's peace and what the world calls peace is huge. John 14, 27, Jesus speaking, he says this, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So look at Jesus saying, I'm giving you a peace, and it's not just any, it's my peace. And it's not like the world's peace, and it's not like I'm going to give it to you and take it away. And then he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I want you to focus in on that word, let. You see, we get a say in the matter. If we're going to be afraid, we have to let ourselves be afraid. If we're going to lose our joy, we have to let ourselves lose our joy. If we're not going to have any peace, we have to let ourselves. You say, Pastor, no, but look at the storm. Stop looking at the storm and look at Jesus. 
You know, I, I don't look at certain things anymore. I don't watch news on TV anymore. I just don't, you know, and you say, well, are you asleep on the cushion? Are you ignoring the storm? No. I'm spending time in the secret place. I want to hear what heaven has to say because I've already heard all that, amen, and it's not good for my spirit. Come on, come on, come on. Put down your phone, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, get off of social media, and get at his feet. He'll inject his peace into your chaos if you do that. The world's peace is different from God's peace. Jesus is giving us peace as an inheritance. Now, the world's peace hinges on what's happening around us uh, at the moment. And here's the way the world's peace works. Maybe before you were a Christian, before you trusted in Christ, before you realized, you know, he's going to keep you and take care of you all your life and then take you to heaven when you die. Before you came to that place, you had to rely on whatever peace you could grab a hold of. And look, everybody needs peace. So we're going to get it from one source or the other. The world's peace hinges on what's happening at the moment. What's happening around us? Well, if everything's good and everything's going my way and I got money in the bank and I have enough money in my pocket to buy the things I like to comfort me, you know, and, and if, if everything's good, I, I can be happy, I can have peace. Happiness is connected to happenings. What's happening? If it's happening good, then I'm happy, then I have peace. But the minute any one of those components go south, there's no more money, there's sickness in your body, there's trouble in your marriage, you got relationship problems, anything that goes wrong, now your peace is gone. God's peace is not like that at all. You can have God's peace if everything around you is coming unglued. You can have God's peace in you even if everyone around you is against you. You could be locked up in a prison cell and be more free than anyone else and have the peace of God to know that he's with you and he's for you and he's got you. (laughs) Help us, Lord. We don't want to settle for the world's peace. We don't want our peace to hinge on what's happening, but we want that peace that passes all understanding, as the Bible says, that transcends what's going on around us. I'm going to close with this story about peace that just illustrates the peace of God in such a beautiful way. A long time ago, a man sought the picture of perfect peace. Not finding one that satisfied him, he announced a contest to produce such a masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings begin to pour in and arrive from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation arrived. The judges would uncover all of these masterpieces and would judge them to see which scene was the picture of perfect peace. As the paintings were uncovered, the people gasped and awe and clapped. As they got down to the last two pictures, attention fell over the crowd. As a judge pulled the cover off of the second to last picture, a hush fell over the people. It was a mirror smooth lake reflecting lacy green birches under a soft blush of the evening sky. Along its lush grassy shore, there was a flock of sheep gazing undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. Yet the man who had called for the contest pulled the veil off the final picture, and the vision that was seen there touched all the people's heart. The second painting 
was a picture of a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel the cold, penetrating spray of the water. Storm clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain in the background. But in the midst of all of this was a spindly tree that had clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. On one of its branches that reached out in front of the torrential waters as if to foolishly seek to experience its full power, a little bird had built its nest in the elbow of the branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs with her eyes closed and her wings covering her little ones. There she had manifested a peace that transcended all earthly turmoil. That's a beautiful picture of the type of peace we can have in God. Not everything's going right. Not everything is going our way. Still, the roar of the world is all around us, yet we can close our eyes and rest in safety because we know that our God is a faithful God and that he's risen to his feet, <laughs> amen, to address our storm. We can have peace when everything around us is in chaos. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you this morning for this miracle that you've chronicled in Mark, and I thank you, Lord God, that you are calling us to understand what it means to get in the game and get off the couch and stop sleeping, but addressing the issues, addressing the storms, that we would use our spiritual authority to speak to the things that are around us and to release the kingdom of God in dark places. God, help us to not settle for a cheap, imitation of peace the type we had before we knew you but to know the peace of god that passes all understanding to be able to be safe and secure and at rest in you no matter what's going on around us i ask that in jesus name now with our eyes closed and our heads bowed i want to give you an opportunity today to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, so many times we think, well, I got issues, but I'll solve them myself. Or I, I have vices, but, you know, I'll just try harder. The thing is that all of us are sinners and all of us need a Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sin. The Bible says that, that if we can uh, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. You see, it's not through our performance or through our good works or through our great efforts that we get the free gift of salvation. It's by asking Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, to forgive us of our sins. You say, well, what will happen if I ask Jesus into my heart? He'll forgive you. He'll wash you clean. He'll make you part of God's family. He'll settle your eternal destiny. You won't have to wonder what's going to happen someday when you die because the promise of God is that he will take us to be with him if we trust in him with our whole hearts. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start, a new beginning, if you want Jesus to be your Lord, if you want your destiny and your eternal destiny to be settled, I want you to raise your hand today. How many would say, God, I want you. God bless you, young lady. God bless you. Don't be shy. Keep your hand up. The ushers are going to put something in your hand. How many people, this is the most important part of our service. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? We'll wait. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. This is how it, this is how it begins. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I invite you into my heart. 
Be my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the power to think differently and live differently. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer this morning. Welcome to the family of God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen.